I can remember when I was uh, studying to be a preacher uh, uh, that I took a class called the Holy Spirit. And the professor was one of my favorite professors. He was a, a phenomenal Greek professor and um, uh, just a wonderful godly man. Still is a wonderful godly man, though he's retired. And I hope he doesn't watch this on the Internet. But if you are watching this, Dr. Floyd, I love you very much. Um, I did not agree with what he taught on the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that Dr. Floyd always did is, is whatever he taught, he had a, a, a lot of scripture and a lot of um, uh, good thought behind it. And, and so it forced me to address what are my views on the Holy Spirit. And, and you folks who've been in this class long enough know some of how my brain thinks. I really like to line things up and start from the beginning and go to the end. So I decided to start with the Holy Spirit and basically work my way through the Bible and find every reference to the Holy Spirit I could. And as I did so, something jumped out at me. And I want us to talk about the book of Acts. That's what we're starting. But we're going to do this in a couple of manners. First, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit because while a lot of church calls this the Acts of the Apostles, I think it can just as appropriately be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so I think we need to have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit as we look through the book of Acts, and it'll be a nice overview to the book of Acts. It may take us two or three weeks to do it, but we'll get that done, God willing. Then after that, we're going to do another overview of the book of Acts where we look at Acts in light of Isaiah because it's almost as if Luke had Isaiah in front of him and was following the unfolding of the church in a manner that aligns with the prophetic declaration of the book of Isaiah. And then after we've done that, we'll break through or break down the book of Acts into certain narrative sections that have some important data, taking a time out to look at the various gospel or books of the New Testament, I should say, that were probably written within the time frame of the narrative we're following in Acts. So that's the plan. But we start with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's an entire lesson that we could do on the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and, and now's not the time for that. But I'll instead tell you when I got to the Gospels and I started looking at the Holy Spirit in the Gospels, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I found out something very interesting. You can segregate them out. You can look at the Gospel of Matthew, look at the Gospel of Mark, look at the Gospel of Luke, and look at the Gospel of John. And what you find is something very distinct in John's Gospels, John's Gospel, from the other three, what we call the synoptic, from the Greek idea that they see things the same. So the synoptic Gospels, they speak of the Holy Spirit, but they don't directly teach on it. They speak of it in, in the sense that they will talk about it and reference it and, and, and give homage it, he, talk about him, reference him, give homage to him. 
but they don't really go into much. If you're going to learn about it, you're learning uh, by, by absorbing the, the, the teaching. It's not a direct teaching, if that makes any sense. Let me, let me do it this way. If we take the Gospel of Matthew, you can read about the Gospel of Matthew and you can read about the Holy Spirit descending uh, uh, well, before that, John the Baptist says, I'm baptizing you with water, but after me will be co- come one whose sandal I'm unworthy to tie, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Then, when Jesus is baptized, you have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. It's the Holy Spirit, we're told, that led Jesus out in the wilderness to be tempted. It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus says would speak with the apostles when the apostles are called before the authorities to testify about Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus when he performed certain uh, his miracles and, and, and his preaching. And Matthew does say that the Holy Spirit is not to be blasphemed. There are several other passages I've listed in your handout every passage that Matthew has referencing the Holy Spirit. So Matthew's got these different things and he'll talk about the Holy Spirit and and he says profound things, but it's not really a teaching on the Holy Spirit, a direct teaching. If we look at instead of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, you're going to find very much the same examples and stories and references that you find in Matthew. Not as many, but it's basically the same. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, you'll have a lot that are the same, but you do have some additional verses as well, especially surrounding the nativity. It's the Holy Spirit that comes upon Mary, and she conceives. It's the Holy Spirit who inspires the songs. It's the Holy Spirit who has told Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Christ child and the Holy Spirit that confirmed that Jesus was indeed that Christ child. So you've got the Holy Spirit in a few other places, but it's still, it's not a direct teaching. Now, things are different once we hit, ah, those are still the same type things. Things are different once we hit the Gospel of John. John speaks of the Holy Spirit in the same way Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. But in addition to that, John has some passages where he directly teaches on the Holy Spirit. And it's not so much that he teaches, it's that he recorded Jesus' teaching. And so those are the passages that I really want us to look at this morning. They happened in the upper room. This is at the time of of Jesus' life where he is about to be betrayed. He, He has the Passover with his apostles for the last time. And in the process of this, Jesus has what John recorded as basically three chapters of a final discourse, a final teaching before he goes off, has his high priestly prayer, and is betrayed. So this is the last chance Jesus has to speak to his apostles before his crucifixion. And Jesus is very careful about what he says here, 
But in the process of what he says and what John records, we have five teaching passages that teach where Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit. And you take these five passages, and each one is guised as a a promise, in a sense. Jesus is assuring his apostles of this. So it's a promise, it's a prophecy, it's call it something along those lines, but it's Jesus explaining the Holy Spirit's going to come, and here's what it's going to do. He's going to do. Now, I want us to look at those passages, and, and... It's going to require some work over here to do it right because I want you to see the passage and I want you to help me carve it up and just dissect it and take it apart. And I want to let's look at them together, these five passages. But let me tell you where we're headed with this next week because some of you will want to do some homework. We're going to list these five promises of Jesus about what the Holy Spirit would do, these five teachings, these five prophecies. We're going to have a checklist of them. Then we're going to take the book of Acts, where there are dozens and dozens and dozens of references to the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at each one. And what I think you're going to find in the amazement of God's tapestry of Scripture, the Holy Spirit does exactly what Jesus says he would. I mean, it's, it's, it is so precise, it fits together like no puzzle. You, you, it, it's just, it's, it, you're not having to wedge the piece in to make it fit. It's an absolute perfect fit, hand in glove. And so that's what I want us to do. It's a remarkable way to unfold not only the truth of Scripture, but the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We understand what Jesus had to say about him, and then we see the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. And I think from that, learn a substantial amount for us today. Because he is the same Holy Spirit today as he has always been. So that's what we're going to do. You with me? We'll start then with John. These are the passages in John. We're going to go to John 14, 16, and 17. Then we're going to go to John 14, 26. Then we're going to go to John 15, 26, 27. John 16, 7 through 11. And then really the next verse, but I classify it separate. John 16, 12 through 15. Those are our passages. We've got our work cut out. Let's go to the Elmo and get to work on it. Now, I really, really, really want us to to see this passage for what it says. And to do that, we need to see the way Jesus started out his speech. And and, uh, speech, his teaching. It's a teaching, it's not a speech. He has interactions. So look at the way he starts it out. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, I want to pause for a minute because this is a verse that's very misunderstood by many in the church today. There are many, in fact, there's a song about 
uh, uh, Jesus and God being a mansion builder. And as soon as he finishes the mansion, he's coming to get me. Okay, he made everything in six days. He's not having to, he didn't leave heaven incomplete. He's not having to do a remodel job because someone else got saved. Got to get a new room. Jesus is not saying, I've got to leave to go do some celestial carpentry work. If you look at the passage, he says, in my father's house are, and it's present tense in the Greek, are many rooms. The rooms are already there. We're not, we're not, he's not short of space. So, don't, it, it, if you sing those songs, you don't have to throw rocks at whoever's leading them, saying, don't you have better theology? Jesus is not building. I learned this in Sunday school. You don't have to do that. You can, but you don't have to. But in your mind, recognize this, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying. How does Jesus go to prepare heaven for us? He goes to the cross. That's where Jesus is going. Jesus starts this conversation out saying, I am about to go be crucified for you. In my Father's house are many mansions, rooms. If it weren't so, would I tell you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to make it so you can get in. I'm the door. I'm going to open the door. So in my Father's house... If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to do this for you? Jesus had been telling them this for a long time. They hadn't been understanding it, but he had been telling them. If I go and prepare a place for you, Calvary, I will come again. That's not the end of the story. When you see or hear about me on the cross, dead... Put in the tomb. That is not end of story. I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, you know the way to where I'm going. They didn't realize it. But they knew Jesus. And Jesus is the way. The only way to the Father. They knew all they needed to know by knowing Jesus and trusting him. Thomas's reaction, though, shows that they didn't have mental understanding of what was really going on. At least poor Thomas didn't. Lord, how do we know where you're going? How can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. Excuse me. We don't, know, we don't even know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? If we don't know where you're headed, how do we know which direction? He's thinking very earthly. He's got no clue of what God is about. Jesus said, it's me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one's going to come to the Father except through me. If you've known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and you've seen him. Because you know me. And you've seen me. Whoops. Sorry. So Philip says, bless his heart, Philip doesn't understand any more than Thomas. Thomas is not the only one John threw under the bus. 
Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough. And Jesus says, how long have you been walking with me? And you still don't know who I am, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? You know, these words I speak? Now, it's in the vein of this going away conversation. That Jesus, we're going to skip up now and get to his first promise about the Holy Spirit in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And that and in the Greek doesn't mean, um, and because you're keeping my commandments, I'm going to do this. It just is, in, in Greek, they have these things called particles. And they just seem to connect every sentence together. And the translators want to translate everything. And sometimes the particle in the Greek is just kind of an expression or a look. Or doesn't always have to be translated. So don't get hung up on the and, meaning that, oh, if we keep commandments, then he'll do this. That's not at all what this is saying. Jesus is saying, you can even start the verse there if you want. I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Got it? Now let's break that down for a moment. I will ask the Father... We're going to put a checklist with this and see if we can fit all of this on the Elmo. Let's put a, this is going to be our checklist. Checklist. Number one, I will. Oops. Okay, we're going to make that. Can you all still read the print if I do that? Well, and you on the front row can read it on here. It's you guys back there I'm worried about. Can you all read? Thank you. I got thumbs up back there too. Okay, number one. He says, I will ask the Father. This is something that's coming in the future, right? From the time of Jesus' conversation. Something significant is going to happen in the future. I will ask the Father. And he will give you. And the will, the give there is also in the future tense. So Jesus is saying something's going to happen in the future. He's going to give you, and look what he's going to give them. Another helper. Another helper. Now the Greek word for helper, parakletos, is a reference In its root form, it's two words put together. Para means alongside, and kletos comes from called. It's someone who's called alongside. So the translators are sitting there. It's in that form. It's not used much in the Bible. And it's not used much in the Old Testament either. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint that John would have had access to. So it's a fairly rare word in that regard. Now, there are other usages outside of the New Testament. There's a Jewish fellow named Philo of Alexandria who who uses the word to speak of as an advocate, kind of uh, uh, someone who will um, 
speak on your behalf. Uh, someone who will stand up to an authority on your behalf. Someone who will uh, 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 represent you in a fuss or a fight or, or something like that. It's, it's someone who is an advocate. The early Latin writers in the church, when they wrote about this in Latin, would use the Latin word for advocate. So some people translate this word helper as an advocate. In fact, John uses the same word helper and uses it to mean advocate in uh, 1 John when he talks about Jesus being our parakletos. And Jesus is referencing himself being one because he says another one. That's one in my stead. My being Jesus, not Mark. So Jesus is saying, God's going to send you another one who will walk alongside you and help you. Now, what the English Standard Version does, well, let me take a time out. So I told you the word used once in the Old Testament. It's used for counselors, for Job's counselors. So some early translators of the Bible thought that should be what Jesus means here. We'll translate this as a counselor, another counselor. And so you get that in some versions of the Bible as well. Some versions say advocate, some say counselor, some say helper. The New Catholic Bible um, doesn't try to sort between any of those three. It just puts the Greek word in there, parakletos, paraclete. And let you go do your own study to figure out what it is. That's actually my favorite translation on this passage. Because that's, that's, that says to me, ooh, there's something unusual about this word. Now, the ESV does a good job. I like this. I think helper may be the best way to translate it. Because an advocate is a helper. A counselor is a helper. A helper is someone who's called alongside to help you. And you'll notice if you look carefully, there's a footnote, number five. And that tells you to look down at the bottom in the really small print. And number five says, or advocate or counselor. Because it could mean any of those. You just have to kind of take it in context. And I like the context that they've done here because I like the idea that it's someone who's going to help. Someone who's called alongside to help. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you another helper. Okay? And he will be with you forever. So this is not the kind of thing where the helper is going to come, help you out of a jam... And then leave. The helper will come. And the helper will stay. You with me? What else does Jesus tell us? Even the spirit of truth. Now this is uh, marvelous. And it's a very John thing to say. Because John frequently put spirit and truth together. And I've given you some references of that in your handout. But the, the, the idea here is, this is the spirit of truth, God of truth, grace and truth came through Jesus. The spirit of truth will be sent. Here he says, the Father will give you. We'll see more in later. Now, look at what he says next. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So this is not something that the world has reference to. This is something special for the believers. 
So we put special for believers on here. Look at this next passage. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So present tense first. Present tense, right now, he dwells with. And that word dwells means remains, stays. Right now, he stays with you. But he will, future tense, be in you. You see the difference there? Where, how was the Holy Spirit dwelling with them at that moment? In Jesus. Jesus has the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's with them. They may not know it, but they know him whether they know it or not, because they know Jesus. Just like they know the Father, whether they know it or not, because they know Jesus. God is, after all, one. So they know him because he's with them. And he will be in them. So when the Holy Spirit comes on that day, the Father gives the Holy Spirit, the other helper. He's not just going to be called alongside. He will be in them. You with me? Now, that's good direct teaching on the Holy Spirit from John. Jesus. We've got more if we continue. Jesus starts, it would have been fun just to take this whole passage apart for a month, but we don't have time. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come to you in a little while. The world will see me no more. You'll see me because I live. You'll also live in that day. And scholars fuss over whether the in that day means the day of the Holy Spirit coming or the day Jesus returns uh, uh, after his resurrection. I think it's the Holy Spirit because I think he's re-echoing what he just said. In that day, you will know I am in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. In that day, you'll know. So we can add to our checklist. We're going to roll over here. We've done seven. Let's go over here to number eight. In that day, they will know that Jesus is in the Father. And that we are in Jesus. And that Jesus is in us. We will know that on that day. So this is what John has here at the beginning. If we continue down to verse 26, we come to our next checklist. Jesus says, These things... I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, and here he says, instead of the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring to remembrance all I have said to you. Now, this is a marvelous thing to add to our checklist. So when the helper comes, and now we know the helper is also identified here as the Holy Spirit. When we talk next week, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Thank you, Weston Fields. The Holy Spirit. So we'll put this as number nine. This is the Holy Spirit. The Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name. So it's Father sends in the name of Jesus. Number 11, 
He will teach you all things. Let's see if we can keep all of this together. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said. So he will teach and remind. Now, that would be really reassuring to me. Because when I, if I had been one of the apostles and I'm at the Last Supper, I'm not sure I would have brought my notepad. Knowing that Jesus is about to leave. I didn't even understand what he's going and where he's going until he starts this speech. If I'm Thomas, if I'm Philip, I'm... So it's kind of like, okay, uh, all right, you remember the first verse. You remember the second. You remember the third. Let's make sure we've got this down. Jesus says, don't worry. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to teach you what all this stuff is because you don't even understand what's happening. And he's going to remind you of these things so that you've got them in your memory. You'll remember. You'll say, oh, caramba. That's what he meant. Boy, weren't we idiots. All right. We've gone through two of them. Let's try and and cover the other three this morning. Our next passage is from John 15, 26, and 27. John 15... 26 and 27. And it's still the same, uh, um, same speech, same uh, discussion. Jesus says, now, when the helper comes, and each time we see helper, it's that same word, parakletos. It's, it's the one called alongside, the, the, the advocate, the counselor. Um, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Now, all of a sudden, it's no longer the Father sending It's Jesus sending. But it's natural for Jesus to talk that way because he and the Father are one. When the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, same, same, same language, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. So now we get to add to our checklist. Our checklist is getting big. 11. Let's, uh, where do you, here. Where should we add number 12? We'll just do it uh, over here. That's kind of disjointed, sorry. All right, so number 12. Number 12, when the helper comes, whom I will send, so Jesus will send, not just the Father. When the Helper comes, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will, 13, bear witness about Jesus. Bear witness about Jesus. And then look at this next passage. He will bear witness about Jesus. We can do it this way and get both on the screen. He will bear witness about Jesus, and you also will bear witness. So he's going to do this. The Spirit will bear witness with the apostles. The apostles will have a role. The Holy Spirit will work with the apostles to bear witness to Jesus. Now, I hope as we're doing this, you're already starting to think of some things in Acts that fit this. 
I hope you're already starting to think about how, you know, at the beginning of Acts, the apostles are still kind of clueless. They decide, hey, we need a 12th apostle. So they roll dice to see who it should be. I'm not saying God can't work through the roll of dice. He certainly can. But I'm just saying that's so different than the way they behave and make decisions after the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Their understanding is of a whole new level. The day of Pentecost, Peter is finally able to stand up and proclaim using the Old Testament scriptures what's going on. And when people want to know why this is happening like it is, he's able to say, hey, this is what Joel prophesied about. Because until that point, God would put his spirit on special people at special times. But Joel said there's going to be a day coming where he pours his spirit out on all flesh, where all of his people will receive it. And Peter says, that's what's happening. This is what Jesus was talking about. And and Peter all of a sudden understands that they crucified God and the Holy Spirit comes on everybody. And 3,000 people understand what they've just done for the first time. And the Holy Spirit just moves exactly the way Jesus says. It happens like a playbook unfolds. Let's look at the next passage. John 16, 7 through 11. All right, we're doing okay time-wise. We're going to get through this. John 16, 7 through 11. Uh, Here, right there. Starts nevertheless. Sorry, I'm having trouble here. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper doesn't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Doesn't that make sense? If the helper is to bear witness about Jesus, it doesn't happen unless Jesus goes to the cross. Unless Jesus is dead, buried, and resurrected for the sins of humanity. What what, what does the Holy Spirit have to bear witness to? Hey, he could work miracles. Fine, and we all go to hell. If Jesus doesn't go away, if Jesus doesn't go to the cross, if Jesus does not fulfill his destiny, self-chosen destiny, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have any reason to come. But when he does come, he will convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment. Concerning sin because people don't believe in me. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you ought to be convicted of your sin. Because if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you wear your sin. It's yours, it's you, and it's me. And it's conviction and belief about Jesus Christ that removes our sin. And Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you about your sin. Because that you have when you don't believe in me. He's going to convict the world about righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. That is a righteousness. 
that we not only have our sin removed by the death of Christ, but we have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Jesus doesn't stay in the tomb. Jesus is righteous. And Jesus is resurrected. And Jesus ascends to the Father. And Jesus reigns eternally where He belongs. And that is the justice, that is the righteousness of God. And the Holy Spirit convicts of that concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. That unique Paul-John word, ruler of this world. And that's a judgment that is here and now, but it's a judgment that is proclaimed for eternity by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we can add to our checklist. We're going to add that... uh, Uh, He comes after Jesus is ascended. We're going to add that he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay? Sorry. It's getting kind of murky. Convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Last part of our checklist. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you. There's so much that Jesus wants to tell them. But you can't bear them now. That doesn't... We read that, we think, oh, gee, they must have been really tired. That's not what... Or they were emotionally depleted. It'd been a long week. That's not... It could mean that, but it doesn't need to mean that. You can't bear them now also just means you're in no shape to carry this. You don't have what it takes to even begin to understand. I have, There is lots that Jesus wants to tell the church. There's lots he wants to tell his apostles. But they're not, they don't, they have not grown to the point where they can handle it. But that's okay. Because when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He's not going to speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he'll speak. He'll declare it to you. He will glorify me because he'll take what's mine and declare it to you. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to fix this. He's going to tell you what I need you to know. I hope you're thinking, oh, the Bible, the New Testament. The Holy Spirit's going to inspire. He's going to teach what we need to know. And look how he's going to do it. The Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. Let's add that to our list, 17. He will guide you into truth. That word guide is used a number of times in the Bible. It's used where Jesus talks about the blind leading or guiding the blind. It means to lead to find a destination and to help someone get there. The Holy Spirit, it's not saying that the Holy Spirit's going to take the pen of Paul and while Paul is asleep, move his hand to write Scripture. It's saying that the Holy Spirit's going to guide him. It's going to lead him. 
It's going to, oh, the Holy Spirit will make sure that he gets where he's going. He's a helper. He's called alongside. He's got God's message, and it's a message that the church is going to get. But it will be a process of guiding. It's not going to be God just jumping up and down on the planet Earth in such a huge fashion, rising out of the Pacific Ocean, as gargantuan as can be, and declaring, thus saith the Lord. He's going to work through the apostles to produce for us the scriptures we've got. He's going to work through the church to confirm for us the canon. He's going to be doing these things and he will guide into it. What else does he say? That he's going to be guiding by speaking. His guiding will include speaking the message of Jesus. So there's going to be a communication role of God's words. What else does he say? He says, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit's not coming to glorify the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not coming to glorify me. He's not coming to glorify you. The Holy Spirit is coming to glorify Jesus. This is our checklist. This is our checklist. Jesus very clearly, and John put it into Scripture for us, very clearly says that in the future, another helper, an advocate, a counselor will come. He's going to stay for the end of days. He's a spirit of truth. He's special for believers. He's dwelling with Jesus now, but he's going to be in believers. And he, believers will understand through the Spirit that Jesus is in the Father, and we are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. This is a Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. This is a Spirit that the Father will send in Jesus' name to teach the, the apostles and remind them of what Jesus had said. He will be sent by Jesus just as much as by the Father to bear witness about Jesus with the apostles. It'll be after Jesus is gone, but he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment and guide the apostles into communicating God's words and glorifying Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. If we go back to the PowerPoint. Now, those are the teaching promises and prophecies of Jesus about the Holy Spirit that John put in there. When we go through Acts, we'll see the Holy Spirit doing exactly what Jesus said he would do. He is on mission. He doesn't mess up. It's flawless execution. And it fits exact. You can take that checklist and find every reference to the Holy Spirit in the Bible, not just in Acts. And see that the Holy... I mean, it's the Holy Spirit that causes John the Baptist to leap in his mother's womb because Mary comes in carrying the Christ child, already bearing witness to Jesus and glorifying Jesus. It's amazing. So, here are our points for home. Uh, aside from the fact that these teachings will unlock for us the book of Acts. Points for home. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay, this is what it's all about. Absent the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, if God is a just God and a consistent, unchanging God, which I hope and pray He is, I don't want 
ever to worship a fickle God or a God of change and mutation. So if God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he's just, then there is an issue with me as a sinner. And something needs to be done about it. And historically, in real space and time on planet Earth, something was done about it. Real event. Jesus died. The Son of God was buried and was resurrected and ascended into heaven as a righteous sacrifice for me. And the Holy Spirit that convicts me of my sin, convicts me of that righteousness, and it's a judgment on this world, and it's a judgment on my sin and everything else that's now left behind me as I'm a new man in Jesus Christ. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, because we're ready. And he promised to come again to take us where he is. Point for home two. Whoops. Oh, we're going to get that each time, it looks like. The Father will give you another helper. We're not alone. We're not by ourselves. The reason we... Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. The reason we can say with our life that Jesus is Lord is because we have the Holy Spirit. The reason blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin is because if you refuse the Holy Spirit's conviction, if you refuse the Holy Spirit's help, if you refuse to come to Jesus, that's unforgivable. It's the only sin that's unforgivable. Because if you come to Jesus, every other sin is forgiven. Thank you, Lord, for the helper. Last point. He will glorify me. I've spent days of my life wanting the Holy Spirit for other reasons. I just really think it would be cool to be able to pray over people and have them healed. I don't mean backache, headache. I'm talking grow a new limb. I'm talking how cool would it be. Now, God can do that. The Holy Spirit can do that but not so that Mark could have the cool experience. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ, not put on show and tell. I'd love show and tell. I like show and tell. Show and tell is a wonderful, marvelous thing. I've liked it since first grade. But God is not show and tell. We're out of time, but I want to say this. That my goal is to focus on the what, not the how. Can I just say one thing? It takes an extra minute. Y'all are all coming over to my house anyway for lunch. Hang on. I got to get there and mow the yard. Um, The reason I love the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the reasons, the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, challenges us, and and Alistair McGrath alluded to this in his lecture, but it it challenges us, which story are you going to believe? You know, here are these kids, they're caught up in the land of Narnia, and they're given two different stories. One story is there's this wicked queen who has turned the land into winter 
and usurped a kingdom that belonged to Aslan. But Aslan will come again and make things right. The other story is the queen rightfully owns the kingdom and it's hers. And everything is winter and it's never Christmas. And that's just the way it is. And if you follow her rules, you can live. If you don't, you will suffer. And the children are faced with which story do we believe? We all are faced with that today. Which story do we believe? I want to tell you what I believe. I believe there is a God who is the most marvelous, wonderful thing beyond comprehension that I can never understand him fully. I can't even look at his face because he created the vastness of this universe. But he made me to be in fellowship with him and my sin has kept that from taking place absent that sin's removal and the removal of that sin from the death of Jesus has changed it all for me and I am assured of my eternity with him and I live for that now and I'm only wanting to spend every breath I can on this earth to do the things he's asked me to do until I go home and I hope that's where you are too would you pray with me Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and we thank you for giving us reality in the midst of a world that tries to paint every other picture possible with all of the messages shouting out and inundating and changing and, and, and morphing and from one message to another. May we never lose sight of that clarion call of your spirit that convicts us of the truth, your spirit of truth, about what is really going on in our hearts, in our lives, and in this world. Because we live for you and your kingdom in the name of Jesus and pray that it will come and that we will see it unfolding on earth even as it is in heaven. That we will see your will on earth as it is in heaven until that time comes where you change everything and make it whole. This is our prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.